for Yellowstone National Park and the Acoustic Atlas at Montana State University. This is telemetry. Is there anything as wild, beautiful, and important as fire in Yellowstone? I'm not sure. This is John Cataldo, the fire management officer for Yellowstone National Park, which means it's his job to manage everything having to do with fire in the park. It seems like we're always at work in the summer, and somehow, um, it, at least my impression is that 80% of the fires we get are when I'm at home eating dinner. So fires and telemarketers are who finds me at 7 o'clock at night at my home. And on the night of August 8, 2016, John got that kind of call. An aircraft full of smoke jumpers flying over Yellowstone National Park spotted a new fire. The jumper aircraft circled the fire, collected a GPS location, and then they texted John's crew. Yeah, sent us a, a photo. I mean, that's the information age, right? So we had a report. We had a photo from the aircraft of the fire. Uh, gave us a basic idea of the, the fuels that were in the immediate vicinity of it. It was about a quarter acre. And, and that's, generally speaking, what I have to work with in a remote environment for starters. The fire was located on the far western side of the park just about six miles east of the town of West Yellowstone. So John did what he often does. He notified the deputy superintendent and the chief ranger, and then he called Yellowstone's fire ecologist to run the nearest weather station for wind data. Very early the next morning, John poured over maps of the area and all the collected data on the new fire. And then he had this really big decision to make. To put the fire out or to let it burn? Essentially, it comes down to, do we think this is a, a good fire or a bad fire? And with this fire, the Maple Fire, being so close to the town of West Yellowstone was a huge consideration. A lot goes into it, but at the end of the day, it's a real estate game. And it's location, location, location. But the fire had two things going for it being a good fire. First, 95% of the winds in recorded history at the closest weather station had blown from the west or southwest directions that would push the flames farther away from the community of West Yellowstone and deeper into the park backcountry. So while winds were likely to push the fire in the other direction, John knew that the proximity to West Yellowstone would have a lot of people interested in this fire. Well, you want to provide insurance. So 95% pretty high number, right? If I give you 95% odds on a blackjack hand, you'd probably push your house payment out there. But um, 5% is a pretty substantial risk if you're the one living in the community on the 5% end of that. But the second thing that helped managers feel like the Maple Fire might be a good fire? It was that the fire had started in an area that had burned way back in the 1988 fire season. You know, if you were to play word association with anyone in West Yellowstone since 1988, and you say 88, the first thing they're going to say is fire. There's no other, there's no other word. 1988 was a particularly dry summer in Yellowstone. When lightning storms hit the park in August, large fires sprouted everywhere. Fires so big that tens of thousands of firefighters were mobilized to fight them. National news covered the events nightly. In recorded history, we had not uh, been that dry. That's Roy Rankin, 
Yellowstone's vegetation management specialist, who has been looking at fire's effects in the park for almost 40 years. Roy saw the 1988 fires firsthand. And as a consequence, these fires were large with these big flaming fronts, and they were moving uh, with dramatic spread rates. You, you could uh, measure them in, in multiple kilometers per hour. And you'd fly along at the head of some of these fires, and you would think that, you know, the, the fire is moving faster than the aircraft is. So it was pretty dramatic stuff. And back in 1988, there was a lot of pressure to put these fires out. For a hundred years, the majority of land managers had been putting out almost every wildfire they could immediately. And it was part of greater American culture to automatically think of forest fires as a threat. And because fires hadn't burned through most of Yellowstone for hundreds of years, the forests were thick with fuels to burn. A whole lot of fuel in a really dry year. The fires got big enough that their smoke blew all of the way from Wyoming to Chicago. Media scrutiny was intense. So much so that President Ronald Reagan weighed in, sending in the military to fight the fires. It was a quarter of an inch of snow on September 11th of 1988 that did what, uh, you know, 10,000 firefighters, uh, 220 different aircraft, uh, you know, so many miles of, of, of fire line, you know, couldn't do. And it, it put a halt to the 88 fires, a quarter of an inch of snow. What people didn't realize is that these fires, just like the sun comes up in the day and the moon comes up at night, western forests burn. By the end of the 88 fire season, nearly 800,000 acres in Yellowstone had burned, one-third of the entire park. That much area burning in a protected ecosystem created a unique place to study the effects of big fires on a landscape. Scientists noted a series of benefits to that ecosystem after the 88 fires demonstrating a value to letting naturally caused fires burn. Chief amongst them, the pattern of areas burned in different years created a mosaic of forest ages with a diversity of plants present. And this diversity of plant habitats was really good for most animals. Also, since there was less fuel where previous fires burned through, the mosaic of past fires helped provide a really great boundary to stop new forest fires from becoming large. Which brings us back to the Maple Fire starting in 2016 and the decision that John Cataldo had to make. To let the Maple Fire burn or to put it out? Well, fire is the lifeblood of the Yellowstone ecosystem. So if we exclude fire, essentially this ecosystem as we know it dies. Um, It would grow decadent and expire. So fire here is essentially the ecological reset button. And our job is to keep as much of it on the landscape as we can safely do. But it's complicated. Yeah, we're just facilitating the conversation between fire and humans, essentially. This park will never have a fire problem. Um, essentially what it has is is 2,000 structures and 4 million visitors that we need to work our tails off during fire season to keep separated from the fire that we need on the landscape. And that's the challenge. Uh, It's 2,000 structures and, and 4 million visitors.
And so here was this new fire, the Maple Fire, started by a lightning strike in the middle of a big area that had burned in 1988. And since 1988, due to that mosaic of forest ages, fires starting in the 88 burn area, they hadn't really gone anywhere. And so John and his team decided to let the fire burn, thinking it would just kind of sputter out. Eyes were wide open as that fire persisted and became two acres and then five and then maybe a week or so into the fire being on the landscape, it was in the hundreds. And we knew that we were going to have a a substantial fire until the snow flew. And for everyone who studies fire in Yellowstone, this fact, a fire growing large in the 88 burn scar, was something odd. Generally speaking, up to that point, the 88 fire scar in a lot of ways was almost viewed as asbestos. It um, It was a great natural barrier to fire spread. So for a lot of our fires since 88, we're using that fire scar as a boundary. But not anymore. A tall column of smoke formed as the fire grew, a huge plume that could be seen from far away. Just six miles away in West Yellowstone, residents started to get nervous about their proximity to the growing fire. Things were tense in, in West Yellowstone. Um, particularly in the beginning of the life of the Maple Fire. And, um, you know, I joke about it now, but, you know, some of those first public meetings were 200 pitchforks and tiki torches out there in the crowd. A dozen fire public information officers were brought in to organize daily public meetings to make sure that the most current information and management plan was getting out. In total, over 400 firefighters were assigned to manage the blaze. To be honest, the strategy that was eventually employed by the incident management team was something we'd sketched out on a cocktail napkin on about the third day of that fire burning. The main plan was to control the fire's edge near West Yellowstone and let the rest of the fire keep burning slowly, like lava, eastward. To do so, firefighters would allow the fire to chew its way toward the Madison River on the west side. Then, using the river as a boundary, they'd employ a tactic called a backfire, starting a new fire on the edge of the river. And as the maple fire sucked in air to feed its flames, it would pull the firefighter-ignited burn eastward. The two fires would then join, leaving no more fuel on the western flank for the Maple Fire to carry into. And it worked. But managers were still surprised that the fire was burning heavily in the 88 burn scar at all. We suspect it was the the extreme dryness of the large logs that were dead and downed and underneath. So for a lot of the, the Maple Fire area, the fire wasn't carrying through the the tops of the vegetation. It was actually first burning underneath through the heavy woody debris, and it would scorch and dry out things enough above it that they would eventually, you know, become consumed after the, the main fire had passed. And other than burning in the 88, the Maple Fire did what many people thought it would do. For the most part, it kept slowly burning east while firefighters watched over it. And eventually, much like the 88 fire season, Snow and rain in September put the Maple Fire out, all of which is what fire managers had planned for. And now the community of West Yellowstone has a 45,000-acre 
fire scar on, on one side of it um, that is going to insulate it from any fires that we may want to control and can't that originate in that part of the park. And both John and Roy say that warmer overall temperatures associated with climate change are likely to complicate fire on the landscape. With predictions of fire becoming more likely in the park, the overall makeup of forests may change. Some tree species, such as lodgepole pine, are expected to decline, while others, like Douglas fir, become more prevalent. And the changing environment in Yellowstone poses new challenges that have fire managers like John looking towards the future. From where I'm sitting, right, because I'm one of the ones making the decision whether a fire should be encouraged to be on the landscape or, or suppressed, I just keep defaulting to fire is what this ecosystem needs. And ultimately, if climate change dic- dictates that the ecosystem looks differently or, or functions differently, it's going to be with fire in it. Uh, we're not going to start going backwards and putting out fires out of fear of, of climate change. And John says that seeing the big picture is the main reason not to go backwards. Like the expression goes, you, you trust the process. And what we're doing is managing processes. We're not managing species. We're not even just managing plant communities. We're managing entire processes that we don't completely and nor will ever completely understand all the interrelationships of what fire brings to that. So trusting the process. For Yellowstone National Park, I'm Scott Christie. This podcast is supported in part by Yellowstone Forever and the Eyes on Yellowstone program. Eyes on Yellowstone is made possible by Canon USA. This program represents the largest corporate donation for wildlife conservation in the park. This is Telemetry. Thanks for listening.